So good. Man, that worship was amazing. Loved it so much. The heat. Can we, uh, can we be done with this already? Like, anybody else ready to move on to fall? I have a feeling, I, you, know, you know those years where you kind of, well, you, you guys don't really know, um, but like back out east, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, there were certain years where you would skip straight from uh, winter to summer. There was no pleasant spring. It was just, it's 30 degrees today, and it's 90 degrees the next day. And, and, uh, and I have a feeling, I, I hope it's not true, but I have a feeling we're going to be doing that with fall. I think, I think we're going to have a short fall and lots of hot, hot, lots more hot days. But, but the good news is on hot days, there is Chick-fil-A, and, and there is their frosted lemonade, which is amazing. Anybody else love the frosted lemonade? Anybody? So good. I've had like three this weekend. They're so good. Mm. I'm not even going to tell you. You just have to go try it. So good. So good. Anyway, um, oh, and then if you're at Chick-fil-A, you also have to pick up the best chocolate chip cookie in the world, which I brought myself one this morning. I haven't had breakfast, so this is my breakfast. Um, That's good. Anybody else love Chick-fil-A's chocolate chip cookies? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Anybody? I got an extra. Would anybody like a Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookie? Anybody? Seriously? Really? Nobody wants this cookie? It's amazing. I'm choking on it. Come on. Come get it. Brad, I saw you, but you were on the way to the bathroom. It was just awkward. And... <laughs> actually, actually, Brad, come here. There you go. Hey, um, it looked really it looked like Brad wanted that cookie. Would you mind? Would you? No, 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 no. Seriously, come. No, 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 no. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Help me out here. So, would you just give it to Brad? Just give it to Brad. I know you wanted it, but he, he you know, he's a cop and he needs a cop. Go ahead. That's fine. Go ahead. You can have a seat now. No, 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 no. no it's fine. No, no, no. Actually, come back up here. No, you're fine. You're fine. Go. No, 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 no. So come back, come back, come back up here. You did. Give him back his cookie. Give him back his cookie. Give it back to him. I asked you, no, come back up here now. So, so here's the deal. What, what you didn't know is that when I asked you to give Brad a cookie, that the guy who owned that cookie also owned the whole platter. So there you go. That's all for you. There you go. (laughs) You Dixonites, man, I'm telling you. Does anybody else hate driving around Dixon where you're at an intersection and you're like, everybody's trying to be nice? And it's like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. No, no, seriously, you go. And then you end up like, what's up? You go. You're like getting mad at each other. Because you can't out-nice one another, right? So here's the deal. We're going to talk about, we're going to finish up our series on um, uh, small things, big difference, uh, where we're looking at some small things that we can do to make a big spiritual difference in our life. And this one, I'm I'm calling it a small thing, but in practice, it's actually a huge thing, a huge thing. Um. And I, it, this will be, the, by far, for the vast majority of you, the most difficult one to implement. The first week we talked about just dedicating some quality time to spend with God. Last week, we talked about getting involved relationally with other people for the purpose of discipleship. This one this week, I promise you, will be the most difficult for you to implement. And it's because of who you are and where you live. 
um, that we live in this country where um, we have, not only do we have an abundance of everything, but we are a people who have an abundance of everything who live lifestyles of excess. And, and if you think that's not true, then, then I don't even know what to do for you. Because that is, that is us to a T. And if there's any quality about our lives as Americans that is the most out of joint with Jesus' kingdom ethics, it is that right there. That we are a people of abundance living lives of excess. And it is... Now, here's the deal. I understand. I'm, I'm one of you, right? And I get the, you know, the principle when it, comes to, when it comes to giving. And we're called to be givers. We're called to be a generous people. You can't get... I mean, Jesus talks more about that topic than probably any other thing in Scripture. That if you, I mean, if you look at the words of Jesus, he spends more time talking about us, our need to care for others in need, our need to be a generous people. That, I mean, he talks over and over and over and over about it. And for a lot of us, when we get something, earn something, whatever, we hold it so tightly because, you know what, I worked for that. I saved for that. I, I you know, whatever, it, it's, it's mine, and, and why should I have to give that up? And, and if I give it up, then there might not be any left for me. But the, poor, the problem with that, you know, that way of thinking, that's really, it's, it sounds greedy, but it's actually more about fear than it is about greed. Because we have this fear that if we, if we give up some of what we have, then what will there be for me? And the principle there that we need to always remember is the same God who gives you the little owns it all. The same God who gives you the little owns it all. The same God who gave you the cookie owns the whole platter. He owns the whole platter. To the point that, you know, when we, and, and if you've been a Christian for very long, you've felt this. And some of you have, have been obedient, and some of you have, let's just be honest, we're honest people at Living Hope anyway. Um, some of you have just been living in disobedience because you felt God impress upon you to be a more generous person, and you have pushed that back, and you have pushed that back, and you have kind of bargained with God and reasoned with God, and, well, I don't have, you know, right now we just bought this, and we just bought that, and, you know, and there might be, you know, we're coming up on a season where it's going to be a little tight around here, so I can't really, you know, and so we kind of do this back and forth with God where we try to justify all of our actions, and, and we lose sight of the fact that with God, like, like if you got kids, you know, this is how God works with us, with us that he, um, you, you know, like if you have kids and you have a birthday or a Christmas coming around, and, and your kids, you know, they want, to, they want to bless you. They want to get you something. The problem is, they're they're worthless loafers who don't earn any money in your home, and they're not worthless. They have worth to Jesus, but um, <laughs> and so and so what you do, what you end up doing if you're if you if you've been a parent for very long, you know this. You give them money to go buy you a present, right? Right, and so. And so that's what they do if they're good kids. <laughs> if they're not, 
and they're just like, okay, I'll buy you a gift, and they just take the money and run, then there's some more conversations coming up with those kids, right? Like, that's just not... And we lose sight of the fact that when God challenges us to give, to be a more generous people, that before he asks you to give the gift, he's already given you the gift to give. Does that make sense? Before he even asks you to give the gift, he's already given you the gift which he wants you to give. And the God who gave you the gift to give in the first place owns it all. And so what I want to challenge us to do this morning is kind of put to rest that fear of scarcity, that fear of what if there's not enough left for me? What if, you know, whatever, I'm working hard. What about the people who aren't working hard? Or, you know, whatever it is that goes through your head about where you reason with yourself why not to be more generous. Now, to a large degree, I'm preaching the choir here this morning. You guys, Living Hope, are a very generous church. Uh, by the way, last week, uh, uh, we uh, were able to receive all the money that the girls needed for, to finish their outreach fundraising, and so thank you for your generosity last week. That was amazing. So yeah, you guys are, are a very generous church, and, and, but, but, it's, but you know, the, the way to keep us healthy is to get good reminders of how to stay healthy, and so that's where I want to go this morning. And if you're one of those people that's really been struggling with the idea of being a more generous person, now, generosity is more than just what you put in when the baskets are passed around or when you give online or whatever. Generosity is, is a lifestyle. That, that, that generosity is not just giving to the church. Generosity is having a giving spirit where you are just a, a generous person who wants to help people in need. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, and we're going to look at some of that this morning. But as we do that, the first point I want to make is this, and this is kind of where we're going with this this morning. And that's this, that contentment and generosity, it's right up here, contentment and generosity are the keys to fighting American idolatry. Now, a lot of times when we, when we hear the Bible talk about idolatry and they were bound down to idols and things like that, and we, we tend to think, most of us maybe, we tend to think idolatry is not really my issue, but we have an idolatry issue. We have worship dysfunction in our lives where the American problem of idolatry by and large is the worship of either self or stuff. Self or stuff. Self or money. Self or wealth. That we tend to worship in those directions. We're a people of abundance living lives of excess. Living lives of excess. And so if we're going to counter that and get more in line with the kingdom ethic that God is calling us to live, that Jesus kind of laid out for us to live, then the keys to that change are moving from a mentality of excess to a mentality of generosity and contentment. Contentment and generosity. It is critical that we move that direction. Now, I want us to look at Luke chapter 12. This is a story of of Jesus here in Luke chapter 12. Start with verse 13. And so Jesus is teaching. He's with the crowds and everything. And somebody comes up to him to ask him a question. And I have to say this has to be the most boneheaded question anybody ever asked Jesus. And here it is right here. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother, divide the inheritance with me. Like this person was obviously new, right? <laughs> like had not been following Jesus very long because they had no idea what Jesus was about. Anybody ever watched Dr. Phil when, and somebody says something boneheaded and they're like, 
Have you, he's like, have you ever even watched this show before, right? I, I have a feeling that Jesus was like, have you, uh, did you just get here? Like the gall to walk up to Jesus and go, teacher, would you, like tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? <laughs> and then Jesus' response is so good because he says, um, but he said to him, man, <laughs> man, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Like, like, he's like, why are you bringing me into your business? Can't you guys just work this out? Like, why do I have to judge this mess? Are you really, you're going to mess up my day with this drama? Are you kidding me right now? Man, I love like, man, that, that's great, right? And then he says to them, he says this, and, and he said to him, to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetous is the big Bible word for, uh, you know, when you want something that's not yours, Right? Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I like, I like to take simple phrases and make them as simple as I possibly can. So, so would you just say this with me? My life is not my stuff. Say that with me. Yeah, say it again. My life is not my stuff. Your life is not... Your stuff, there's so much more to your life than how much you make and what you own. But if you're like me, now, I've confessed this to you all before. I've got this disease. I mean, I've got this disease. I love Amazon. I love those smiley face packages I get in the mail all the time. I I have stuffitis, right? And I've, I've been working really hard, you know, the last couple years to really curb that in my life and become a person that is more content. But I have to remind myself all the time that my life is not my stuff because I have this mentality, and probably a lot of you do too, that, you know, you kind of do these things where you see these things. Maybe it's in a commercial. Maybe it's a friend that owns something. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you're just browsing through Amazon or or you see an ad on on, uh, Facebook or whatever else, and you're like, and, you you know, you you see that thing, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I need that thing. I need that. I I so need that. You know, maybe it's a late night infomercial and you, you, you know, there's nothing there you need. Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, you will convince yourself, I cannot be happy without that thing. Where's the phone? You know, get out and, and order that thing, right? And, and so we, we do that. We get this stuffitis. Where we, and, and, here's, and here's the thing. If you've got that stuffitis disease, then you know, as I know, that as soon as you get that thing that you just had, that high lasts all of about three minutes. And then you're maybe a day or two later planning the next thing that you just got to have. And it never, ever ends. It just doesn't end at all. And so we've got to come to grips with what Jesus said. My life is not my stuff. My life is so much more than the things I have or the things I want. And so as soon as he says that in the very next verse, he tells a story. It's such a great story. But he says this in verse 16. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So let me set this up. He's a rich guy. He's got fields. He's got crops. That whole thing. It's a bumper crop year. He's got more crop coming in than he has places to put the crop, right? And so he's like, What am I going to do with all of this stuff that that I've got coming in? And he said, I'll do this. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, in case you missed it, what Jesus just described here is literally the American dream. That is literally the American dream. Work hard, hope for a bumper crop, and retire as early as you possibly can. It is the American dream. It is any money channel, any uh, you know, financial book you might read, any seminar you go to, it is all about make as much, work hard right now, make as much money as you possibly can, and retire as early as you possibly can. It's the American dream. Now, for those of us Americans that look at this guy who's like, okay, he had a lot coming in, he's going to make provision to put it all and store it all away, and he's going to live He's going to live a, a nice, happy life. He's going to retire early. He's going to, he's going to do the things he's been wanting to do. He's always going to hang out with the people that he wants to hang out with instead of the jerks at work. He's going to, he's going to you know, just, just do that whole retirement thing. And we all look at that. Who here knows somebody that, that has got to retire early? And don't you praise them? When you hear that story, don't you go, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. I, I, I can't, I'm, how, how blessed are you that you get to retire this early, that you get... You get, now, now, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with early retirement. But this is what Jesus says in the very next verse, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Fool. Now, when God calls you, calls you a fool, it's, 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 it's a good reason to put your life on pause and reassess things, okay? But God said, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. Now, it's really easy to kind of look at this story. It's a very confusing story to us, especially as Americans who are like, that's, all, that's my whole goal in life is just to work, work, save, save, and, and hopefully retire at a, at a decent age while I can still enjoy my retirement, right? And, and it's really easy for us to look at the story and go, what's Jesus have against people making good money? Or, or what does Jesus have against people retiring early and enjoying life? Am I not supposed to do that? And what, I want to set your mind at ease. This, this man's sin here was not the fact that he was rich. This man's sin was not the fact that he retired early. This man's sin was the fact that God blessed him with more than he knew what to do with, and he assumed it was all for him. He assumed it was all for him. Rather than going at least taking a moment, at least taking a breath and going, God, tell me why you've given this to me. Is it for me? Because maybe it is. Or is there somebody else that you need me to bless? I know you own all of this, and it's just on loan to me anyway. And so what's your plan for this? Tell me, tell me what your plan for this is. Because that's the response of someone who really gets the kingdom ethic of God. That's the response of somebody who really understands what stewardship is all about. That these things that we have, these blessings that we receive, some of them absolutely may be for you. But don't assume it's all for you. At least take a breath and take it up with God and ask, God, what's this for? I want to be obedient to you. What's this for? The man's sin wasn't that he was rich. It wasn't that he retired early. It was just that he assumed it was all for him. 
So there's a couple points I want to bring out in this story. And the first one is this, is that there is no kingdom retirement plan. There is no kingdom retirement plan. Now, I'm not saying you, can, you guys cannot retire. That's not what I'm talking about. I am saying as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you never get to retire from God's work. That our goal as kingdom citizens is to worship God and serve him until the day we die and then do it the very next minute in heaven. Worship God and serve him and glorify him in all that we do. We do not get to retire from God's work. Even when you finally get to retire from your work, your job, we still don't get to retire from God's work. You never are a retired kingdom citizen. You will always spend the rest of your life, if you're a true disciple of Christ, you'll spend the rest of your life doing everything you can to bring glory to God. That's what that kingdom ethic is. There's no retirement plan in the kingdom. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in a lot of the letters that he writes, he has a lot to say about work and why we should work. And, you know, at one point he, he, he has some really harsh words for for men who won't provide for their families and, and, uh, and you know, are just kind of lazy and all that and stuff, you know, that he really attacks laziness. He's got, he, he really preaches that part of the kingdom ethic of God is that is a strong work ethic as well, right? And he has a lot to say about work. And he, one of my favorite things that he says is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Now, he's talking about thieving people. But, but he, he brings it back into this work ethic. He's like, don't think you can just go grab whatever you want. Work hard with your hands. Earn money the way people should earn money. That there's something very glorifying about good work, about hard work, about work done to the, glorify, the, to the glory of God. That's a great thing. Now, and all these verses that Paul talks about where he talks about, you know, uh, us being hard workers and, and, and having that good work ethic. This is one of the verses where he actually tells us why. Because the very next phrase in that same verse, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Why are we to work hard and why are we to get money and things like that? It's so that as citizens of God's kingdom, the world will know that because we love Jesus, we also love you. And if you have a need, I want to know about that. I want to know about that. That we, the reason behind our work. Now, I, if, you're, if, if you're like me, like I, I receive a lot of self-worth through the work that I do. I, like I, I love my work. I love the fact that I get to spend my life pastoring. I really feel like this is my calling and I get to do it. And it's just, it's awesome. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. But the reason I do my work and the reason you do your work and whatever that is, whether you feel fulfilled in it or not, the reason you're out there earning a living is not only to earn your living, but so that you can set yourself up to be helpful to anyone in need. Now, let's backtrack to where we are as American Christians. And who here would be honest with me? I'll raise my hand first. Who here would be honest and say, I probably, I probably tend to structure my life in such a way that there's not really a lot left over to help people with? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, a bunch of us, right? Probably tend to structure my life in such a way where there's not a whole lot left over to help people with. Why? Because we're a people of abundance living lives of excess. Living lives of excess. 
And God has something so much bigger for us than just make money, spend money, make money, spend money, make money, spend money. Instead, his plan is make money. Go ahead, take care of your family. Take care of things. Go ahead, set aside some savings because a rainy day is going to come and there will be a day when you're too old to work and you're going to need something to live on. That's all fine. Go ahead, set aside some savings. But also, live within your means so that you can help other people in need. Now, a lot of us, we have this kind of concept of, like, if I'm really going to live financially the way Jesus wants me to live, then I have to embrace a life of poverty. Jesus was a homeless man, right? He didn't have a place to lay his head or anything like that. So I have to embrace, if I'm going to really follow Jesus, that's what I got to do. And so some of us at some point in our life kind of go through this uh, way of thinking where we're like, you know, I don't, I don't need a lot of money. I'm, I'm just going to make as little as I possibly can to get by because I want to keep things simple and I want to be close to the heart of Jesus and, and I want to be helpful to the poor and I want to be able to identify with the poor. I don't want to lose touch with the poor and because and, uh, that's kind of the life that God has called me to. Uh, millennials are, are, are huge at this right now. I've read story after story, article after article about how how uh, so many people in that millennial generation right now are kind of in that mindset. They don't approach work as, I want to make as much money as I can. Instead, they pro- approach work and I want to live, live a fulfilled life. I don't need a lot of money. I only need enough to stay alive, keep going, pay my bills. I don't need large sums of cash. And so, so they kind of do that, right? And we tend to think that's the way Jesus wants us to live. And I want to I challenge that thinking this morning and just say to you that, that is not the kingdom ethic of work, to make little or no money and just live as simply as possible. That's not the kingdom ethic of work. That, in fact, disciples will do this. This is my next point. Disciples will earn as much money as humanly possible and then live simply and give the rest away. You're not helping the poor by making nothing. What kind of screwed up thinking is that? Like, I want to I wanna be real to the poor, so I don't need any money. No, no, if you want to help the poor, go make a bunch of money and give it away. Go make a bunch of money and give it away. Make as much money as you possibly. God has given you life and health and creativity and passions and everything else. He has, he has a vocation for you in some form, some capacity. Go make as much money as you possibly can. Live simply and give away the excess. That's the kingdom ethic. That's the kingdom ethic. And that's where this is really uncomfortable for us as Americans because we, we have this way of thinking like, like I'm, I am. I'm, I'm working hard, and when I get the raise, then I'll get the better car. When I get the raise, I'll get the bigger house. When I get the raise, then we'll have extra kids, and we'll put them in extra rooms, and then we'll, we'll, just, we'll go on that vacation. We'll finally get that timeshare. We'll, we'll travel the way, you know, whatever. And, and we always think about earn, like as our standard of living increases, um, then we increase our spending. And what I think that the kingdom ethic is, as your standard of living increases, so should your standard of giving. So should your standard of giving. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to give your excuse me, how to give a cookie, how to give your money. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. 
The Bible has some things to say. I would encourage you to study it. I, I believe that, it, that the Bible teaches the tithe, which is the principle. It was all throughout Israel's history, and Jesus reaffirms it even in the New Testament, this concept that, that the work of worship would be supported with a tenth of our income. And I believe that. I believe that's the, not the ceiling for giving, but the floor for giving, that the floor for giving should be 10%. But I believe we're called to be much more generous than just 10%. I believe we're called to be a people who will intentionally live as simply as we possibly can and give the rest away. Go ahead, save, take care of your future, save for your kids' education. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with all of that. That's fine. That's wise. The Bible talks about how wise it is to be a saving person. Do that. But also be an extremely giving person. Now, what I hope you don't hear this morning is some sort of, you know, sermon where I'm up here begging for money. I, th- I don't care. It's not, it's not up to, I care to the extent that you are growing in your faith. I don't care about your money per se, but this is what God knows about me and what God knows about you is that I have a tendency to worship my money and my things. I have a tendency to worship those things. Not literally, I don't have an altar to stuff built up in my house or anything like that. But I do have a tendency to hold on to it a little too tightly and go, uh, like if God blesses me with thousands of dollars and then he challenges me like, like, Jeff, there's somebody in need and I want you to give this away. And my response is usually, but I love thousands of dollars. <laughs> I really love thousands of dollars. <laughs> but I have to realize that The same God who challenges me to give the gift, who gave me the gift to give in the first place, owns it all, and he'll take care of me. I got to put that fear away. I got to put that selfishness away. And instead, embrace a life that's about something different. Guys, I'm not trying to convince you that this is easy because it's not. But this is what it is, it's necessary. That our, that not our church, but churches in general don't have a very good reputation in our in our country. Um, you know, even in even in the midst of of uh, the floods in Houston, where churches have been banging it out, serving their communities there, just doing amazing, amazing work. Still, one of the biggest stories of the flood has been churches that weren't right. Churches just don't have. The greatest of reputation. You want to know how to change that? Go out. Live to the glory of God. Work to the glory of God. Make as much money as you possibly can and give it away. Give it away. And then give all the credit to Jesus. Glorify him through that. Whether you give it here, whether you give it where you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to give to certain people that are in need or whatever, whatever, I don't care. Because here's the thing, you might go back and forth with me on the concept of giving to church. A lot of people like to argue that, right? Fine, we'll have that conversation if you want to have that conversation. But I can't imagine that anybody in this room would stand toe-to-toe and argue with me about whether or not you should be a more generous person. Really? You really want to take the uh, alternate side of that argument and argue for not generosity, right? No, 
Like, I think, I, I hope, like every single one of us in this room, regardless of how you feel about church giving or whatever else, every single one of us in this room, in our hearts, want to be a people who are known as generous, who are known as giving, who are known as somebody who would sacrifice for their friends. Like, we want to be a more generous people. And so all I'm asking you to do is, is spend some time praying and really and genuinely ask God, as I do on a regular basis, God, make me more generous. Make me more generous. And I want us to close and pray this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's just three little phrases. Just repeat after me, right? Lord, help me to be grateful for what I have. You say it. To remember that I don't need most of what I want. And that joy is found in contentment and generosity. Now pray it with me one more time. Lord, help me to be grateful for what I have. To remember that I don't need most of what I want. And that joy is found in contentment and generosity. Let's pray. Father, I I love you so much. And God, I, I readily admit the weaknesses in my own life in this area. You know my heart's desire is to be like you. To follow you as closely as I can. And you are such a generous God. You bless us when we don't deserve blessings. You bless those that aren't even following you. You're such a generous God. And so God, recreate in me a spirit of generosity. God, help me to be a person who not only points people to you and to your good news through the words that I say, but through my actions and the way I'm willing to give and sacrifice for others that are in need. God, don't let this be an afterthought in my life, but help me to develop an actual strategy for increased generosity in my life. God, put within me a a desire to really and truly give. God, I've been blessed by so many people over the years. So many people have sacrificed so that I could have over the years. So God, help me to really and truly want to pay that forward. Help me to really and truly want to adjust my standard of living so that I can increase my standard of giving. Really drill home in my spirit the fact that my life is so much more than my stuff. I don't want to just think that and repeat it as some sort of mantra, God, but I want it to come natural to me. I want that belief to be um, in the core of who I am, that my life is not my stuff. So I love you this morning. I, I, I just ask that you would change me in those very difficult ways. God, I ask the same thing for everybody across this conversation, this congregation, that you would change them, that they would have the courage to turn their lives over to you and say, make me more like you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. So here's the deal. Before I dismiss you guys, we're going to run a little bit late this morning, but uh, before I I dismiss, I want to take a couple of minutes and honor somebody who deserves to be honored. And uh, uh, this summer, I think we're actually a little bit late on it, but this summer actually marked uh, Rob Riedel's 10 years of leading us in worship. Rob, 
Rob got here uh, to Living Hope uh, seven or eight months or so before I did, and um, and I, I can remember our first visit to Living Hope. And when I heard how amazing the worship was, I remember looking at my wife and going, "We're gonna have a really cool church." <laughs> and that was my response: like, "We're gonna have a really cool church. Like, I can get I can get excited about this church." And for some people, they might view that as shallow or, or whatever else. But, I, you know, I, I think that, and, and you'll hear a lot of preachers talk about, you know, that maybe we give too much attention to worship and things like that, but, or, to, or to the music. And I, I don't know that there's much of anything important and is as important in church life as us worshiping God. And here's the thing I know about the job that Rob has done uh, leading us in worship is that in 10 years of Sundays, almost 10 years of Sundays that I've been here, um, he, he and the team have yet to fail in leading me in worship. Like I love worshiping with you all and I love being led by this group and by Rob and it's, it's, he does such an amazing job and um, he's a good, yeah. He's been, he's been a good friend over the years. Like, I think my second or third week here, like, Rob walked straight up to me. He was like, dude, you got a booger in your nose. And, and I was like, okay, I, I, this guy's got my back <laughs> and my front, right? And so he, I, I, I've appreciated his friendship. I appreciate his passion for seeing our church become more of what God wants us to be. Um, I'm going to tell a story that has never been told here before. And if it offends any of you, I, I, I genuinely apologize, but I think it's an important story to tell. Before I got here, before Rob got here, uh, the church had brought in a consultant to help them kind of figure out how to grow and become a better church and that sort of thing. And, and, and surveys were sent out across the church and, and it measured things like how, how is worship and how is uh, you know, group life and, and leadership and all kinds of other things that you measure, you can measure in church world. And when the results of that survey came back, the marks for worship on that survey were so low, so low that the, the consultant actually said, you guys kind of need to stop worshiping. And now that's horrible advice, by the way. But, but the point was that it, it, it was not something that was helping us grow as a church at that point. And shortly thereafter, the church went looking for a worship leader and they found Rob and they brought him in. And within a year, we did that survey again. And uh, worship had the highest marks of anything on that survey. That's the excellence he puts into his work. And, and he, we are so incredibly blessed to have him leading us and leading our team. When people, when, when church leaders from other churches come in and visit us and they hear our team lead worship. I'm talking people from mega churches that will occasionally drop in and every single time they say, I cannot believe you guys' worship is amazing as it is. Like for a smallish church, we are so, so blessed. And that goes beyond Rob to the rest of the team as well. They all do a fantastic job. And so Rob, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for leading me in worship. Thank you for leading my family in worship. Thank you for being the friend that you are. You're amazing, and I love you. And uh, I, I can't imagine living hope without you. Like, you're so, you've done so much to shape the DNA of our church. So our church wants to give you a gift. And so we've got you a, a, a new Taylor guitar. And so... Um, 
<laughs> but you're amazing, and uh, I just thank you. I should have got you a platter of cookies too, but I didn't. But um, but no, that's good. I I just want you to know how much I love you and I appreciate you. And so thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So hey, as we as we dismiss, yeah, get up and stay, let it, join some thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I want us to do. If you got time, I know some of you may be in a hurry to get your kids or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but if you got time, I just want Rob to kind of hang out up here. And would you just kind of come up here and just give him a sentence about how much his worship leadership has meant to you. Give him a hug and tell him how much you appreciate him. But uh, let's dismiss that way. All right. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next week.